Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. Good morning, everybody. I'm smiling because in the former church I served, we're in Covenant, we had a doctor who was a proctologist, and I'm so grateful that circumstance didn't happen on the soccer field. Awesome. A little TMI. Um, Pull it in, everybody. Pull it in. Okay. Um, question for you. How do you, rhetorical question, how do you define integration? Integration. To integrate. Merriam-Webster uh, defines it this way, to combine two or more things in order to become effective. To combine two or more things in order to become effective. Uh, it's the root of it is the word we get integer from. It means to be whole, integrity, what have you. The antonym of integrate is this, segregate, segregation. So pull out your message notes or put, turn them on on your U uh, version app. And here's my question. How integrated is your faith? Your walk with Jesus, how integrated is who you are here at 11 with who you are Monday morning and Tuesday morning, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? I'm constantly challenged by that question. And then the second question on here, how do you know that your faith, once integrated or the lack thereof, is making a difference in the workplace? Uh, that's what this whole series is about, and I'm very excited today because you're, we're going to get really, really practical uh, and actually give you a scorecard on how you can both measure and pray for some tools and a strategy to live into being an integrated person. Wherever you work, however you define that, Anthony will do a great job defining that. I can't think of a better person to give this message than Anthony Mejia. And most of you know him, but let me give uh, some background so we all have a level playing field when it comes to our knowledge of Anthony. Anthony has been attending PCC for 31 years, uh, and he is an integrated individual. Uh, he has served this church in many capacities before he came on staff, leading a, a young marriage group, being on student ministry staff. He was a church chair and church vice chair for nine years when I first became the lead pastor. Uh, he is an integrated individual. He had a 22-year run in tech sales, high-tech sales in the area, primarily with HP and then a bunch of startups after that. Nine years ago, I called him and said, I've got a crazy thought, and I don't know if it's a God thought or a Gary thought. That's you to decide. And I said, uh, would you please pray about taking a pay cut, like we could pay you half what you're making, and come to the center and lead and direct the ministry of the student center. And he prayed about it, and God was in that. And for nine years, he's been giving leadership to our, sorry, not our student, our council uh, Community Center, thank you. Community Center, my fourth time. Community Center. Um, and you need to know, over there at the Community Center, we see that as viable an aspect of ministry as we do what we do here on Sundays. At the Community Center right now, they're running uh, at capacity with 3,300 memberships over there. 
In addition to that, a number of years ago, we realized we were at capacity. Uh, we were in a recession, and the schools cut their funding for PE. Uh, the community center stepped in with a grant from the Sequoia Healthcare Foundation. Uh, now, today, uh, we are on 12 of the Redwood City campuses teaching PE every day um, to 5,400 students a week. Uh, in addition to that, we have almost 200 employees over there, part-time, full-time. It is an amazing ministry that's been going on over there. And much of our mission into the city, we are riding on the backs of the community center, schools, childcare, and preschool. Uh, they're amazing. They are integrated. If you are an employee or a board member over at the community center, would you please stand up so we can recognize you real fast? Come on, stand up, Karen. Everybody? Two, three, awesome. Sarah's on the board. This guy's awesome. So good. Keep clapping and welcome up Anthony Mejia. Come on, Anthony. Ian said he'd pay me if I ran with the towel down the aisle. <laughs> Calling you out, Ian. Um, hey, almost everything that Gary said was true, except for the taking a 50% pay cut. It's a lot more than that to come and work. <laughs> but it was worth it. It's been worth it. Um, but it is true. I spent uh, 22 years in high tech, and I am, I'm so thankful for those 22 years. It, uh, it gave me a chance to work in a great organization, HP. It's still a great organization. Got a lot of training that I still use today uh, and learned a lot that has propelled me for my career. I got to travel around the world. It provided for my family. I've got three kids. Uh, they're, two are in college. One's out. Um, but in all those 22 years, I was and continue to be a Jesus follower. And yet at the same time, if I were to be uh, perfectly frank with you, I always felt like there was something that I was missing. And, and that's this, that I didn't feel um, at peace, that I was truly integrating my faith in my work. Now, we define work, uh, before you turn off and go, well, I don't work anymore, I'm retired, or I'm a stay-home parent. We define work as any effort that you're, you, uh, any effort towards achieving a goal. Scientific definition of work, right? So any effort towards achieving a goal. So we all work. So whether your job is to pick up Cheerios for the umpteenth time during the week, right, uh, which is the most important job, I think, in the world and most significant, or you're a volunteer, you're retired, you're volunteering in our Redwood City Reads program um, or taking care of a loved one at home, you work. If you're a student, Connor, you're working. And I'm pretty sure that your mom is, is paying you to work, right? We're... we're um, I'm paying my kids a lot of money to go and study. I know that. And I, I remind them that all the time. Um, so we all work. And here's the challenge that we have, or at least I did. I, I wanted people to know about Jesus. But here's how I would do it. Or, and again, maybe some of you have tried this and, and have had better success. But I would, I'd wait for that moment where somebody would go, hey, hey, Jeff, what are you going to be doing this weekend? And I'd be like, I'm going to church. And people go, yeah, that's great. Nice. 
right? Or, or I try to wait for that moment where I tell everyone I'm taking vacation and I'm not going to be here. And then people would say, well, where are you going to, where are you, what are you doing? What are you going to do? And I couldn't wait to go, I'm going on a Mexico mission trip or I'm going to the Congo for, for a mission trip. And, and most of the time they'd go, not good for you. Right? Or, or I, I'd try to invite people to come to my church or to come to our church. And, but most of the people I work with live like in the South Bay or, or Marin County and all that stuff. And, and they'd look at me and they'd go, that sounds great, Anthony, but I live 30 to 40 minutes away and I've got three kids. The chances of me getting those three kids in my van and making it to your church on time is almost nil. Now, don't get me wrong, I want and I believe that the best place on a Sunday is to be in a thriving church community of believers. I love Sunday mornings. And I also believe that there is no better way to live life than to have a growing, deepening relationship with Jesus. I think it makes us better in this life and for the next life. I also believe in the, in the saving grace of Jesus. I want as many people to have that. But I just still struggled with that whole thing uh, of how to integrate it. And interestingly enough, the person that taught me a different way or strategy, whatever you want to call it, is actually not even a Jesus follower. It was this guy, uh, Dave. I changed the name because Gary taught me that to change the name. Uh, a, a center member that I met my second week at the center. So I was trying to apply my, my sales uh, experience, and I'm walking around the center, and I'm telling people, hey, I'm a new executive director. Todd, I'm a new executive director. Do you have anything that, you know, any advice for me? Is there anything I could be doing around that? And most people were pretty nice. They're like, oh, congratulations, until I ran into Dave. And Dave is a buzzsaw. He just said, yeah, I got one for you. And I know Dave, and Dave knows me. He said, don't tell me about your God. And I thought, well, I meant just the center, Dave, not the church. And he goes, no, I know what you mean. Don't tell me about your God. And I composed myself and said, okay, well, tell me more. Because you know, I was kind of, was kind of uh, mad at Dave. <laughs> to be frank. And he said, here's why. I've been here for a while, and I pay you people, right? he's starting to qualify things, right? I pay you people good money. And when I look around, the place is falling apart. Fences leaning over, right? I see some of your staff, they're bickering and, and gossiping. I see some of your church people doing that stuff, you know? And then he said this, that really got to me, he goes, I can't even get a clean towel from you guys. Now, for those of you that are, that are at the center or have been at the center, blue towels are a currency. If you don't have blue towels, bad things happen. Clean blue towels, and they're all over the place. And, and by the way, let me just do a commercial. I know for those of you that are center members, you've taken our blue towels. I know because when I drive, when it's sunny outside, you're cleaning your cars with our blue towels. <laughs> so amnesty to you guys, grace to you, bring back our blue towels. But when Dave said that, uh, it really imprinted in me that uh, there are things that we can do to actually shame the gospel. I don't want to be ashamed of the gospel. I don't want to shame the gospel. 
And, and, um, and what we've found is that there, we all live in, this, in these two worlds, at least two worlds of faith and work. Right? And sometimes they're diametrically opposed to each other. One world tells us to be overly aggressive, to be all about profits, to at all costs win, to promote yourself, to always be comparing yourself to everyone else, and to earn what you can keep or keep what you earn. The other world tells us to be meek and humble and put others first and to not promote yourself and to think about people and to live by grace. Some of us have learned to compartmentalize. I was one of those people. At HP, you couldn't tell your subordinates about your faith. That's a no-no. Like you were trained to do that. If you did, you're, you have a ticket to the HR office to go to see the HR director. And so I, I've learned to, to, to really compartmentalize and live between those two worlds. And, and for some of us, we kind of, we kind of made one over, primary over the other at our own detriment and at the cost of who we are in, the, in our workplace. There are some that have learned to actually live in that tension in between our faith and our work. And I would propose to you today that that actually is how God created us to be, to live into that tension. Um, and, and, but it's really hard. But what if, what if we found a way as Jesus followers to be able to lean into that and answer that call and not only survive in between two worlds, right? When Todd's at Apple or, or Sean's at Brown, Ferris, to, to just like to be able to live into that. And lean into it and go and actually not to survive, but to thrive. What if there was a way to do that? And it turns out I'm not alone in that struggle or, or wondering how to live in that tension. Because 400 of us took the Made for Monday survey. And, and what we found out is we want to make a difference. You want your faith to, to matter at work. You want your faith to matter beyond Sunday. The challenge is the majority of us don't know how to do it. Don't know how to do it. And that's on us as, as, as your pastors who are supposed to be equipping you, right? We own that and we're working really hard. And part of that is to give you these practical things on how to live through those things. And so I want to share with you one aspect, one way. It's not the only way. It's not the, uh, and we don't have the monopoly on this. It's called the five R's. And the five R's um, is something that we use at the center. Uh, we've used it for every person we've hired in the last nine years. I know, it's crazy. From the 15 and a half year old that's only going to work for us in the summer to the 50-something fitness instructor, everyone has sat in my, in my office on the comfy chair and heard the five R's because we want to make sure there are no surprises for people. Right? We want to make sure that if they join our team, they know what to expect of towards who we are, what we do, why we do what we do. And we use the five R's for that. So a couple of caveats on the five R's. Again, it's not silver bullets. They're not silver bullets. They're not, it's not a prescription. If I do this, then, then you know, uh, everyone in my company will become a Christian and everyone will, will rush to church with me. Or I'll be successful in all these kind of things. It's, it's not even a prescription. Uh, it's, it's pretty fluid. It's really at best a description of what things could be like 
wherever you are, whether it's at Apple or in the courthouse or, or in the hospitals, right, uh, or an Oracle, those kind of things. Um, so uh, the other thing is it's not unique to PCC. <laughs> it's not something that we just go, we, we copyrighted it, nobody else has it, it's not the secret sauce and all those kind of things. At best, it's probably something that I plagiarized from all the books and, and everyone else at the center has done ongoing, right? And, and people like Mike, Mike Seashills has commi- uh, contributed to that because I worked for him. He was one of my CEOs at a, at a startup, right? He's contributed to that, all the books in there. So again, this is just for you to consider as maybe an application this week, um, so with all those caveats, uh, let, me, let me go through the five R's. The first is this. The first R is reputation. Because whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're a nice person or not, what we know is this, that in the work world, if your reputation sucks, you're out of work. I said that at 8.55, and I, almost, I regretted it because I should have used stinks because they they don't like that word sucks, but you guys can handle it, right? But if your reputation sucks, and we're thinking that already, that's what Dave was saying, do your job, right? And he actually even went further. He said, because all I ever hear from your tribe is what you're doing in Mexico and Africa and, and East Palo Alto. I can't even get a clean towel from you guys. That just hurt me. It's talking about my church family. But he had some truth into that. Your reputation matters, Ah, your reputation matters. And the way that we live that out at the center is we strive to leave everything better than we found it. And that could be as simple as when I walk through the, the men's locker room and I see a lot of these wet, dirty, uh, lying on the floor as executive director, I go pick up that towel. I go put it and, and my wife hates it. She's like, oh, you're always putting stuff on your hands and, and, or trash right? Everyone. Or it could be um, someone preparing a spin class. You know, it could be someone, uh, Meredith, our fitness instructor, taking the time to really carefully pick the music so that the max, she can maximize the enjoyment and the participation of that spin class. Or it could be Corinne uh, putting order into the chaos that I create at the center. I'm like, I'm such a chaotic leader. People like Corinne and, and the other folks that, that are here that I can't quite picture right now, but they, put, they place order into the chaos that I create at the center. That's leaving it better. For you, it might just be one of the guys I, I, I uh, talk with. He goes, I'm a programmer. All I do is write code all day long in my cube. I don't even talk to anybody. How's that ministry? And I told him, I said, hey, you know what? When you write code and you're fixing an error, you're bringing order back to chaos of that, of that program. And, and whatever we do is a reflection of us, right? And if you're an image bearer of God as a Jesus follower, whatever you do reflects to people God and his character. So my question to you is, when you go to work this week, what are you going to leave better? Is it going to be a sales process, Todd? Is it going to be a project plan, Sean? You know, Rachel, is it going to be the people, of how we treat people in the courthouse? What are you going to leave better? Uh, we use Ephesians 2.10 as our inspiration. By the way, all these things, uh, you'll recognize them. They're best practices. But to me, the real litmus test is, does God's word back up these R's? 
And for reputation, we use Ephesians 2.10. It was written by a guy named Paul, who who was the original church planner, planted churches all over the Roman Empire. And he wrote to a bunch of Jesus followers in Ephesus, which today you could still see. It's in modern-day Turkey. What he wrote to them, we believe, still applies to all of us. That you are God's workmanship, Steve. Created in Christ Jesus, all your experience and your personality, your background, the ability to be a captain in a fire department is not an accident. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he planned in advance for you to do, Jeff, in your law firm or in your company. That is not an accident. And when we recognize who we are and who God is, we begin to, our work becomes an act of worship. Because isn't that what we're doing today? We're recognizing who we are, who God is, and our need for God. Wouldn't it be cool that we can worship God where we spend most of our waking hours, which is at work? Because for the young, guy, young kids, I'm sorry, you're going to spend most of your waking hours at work. But you're working already. You're working at, in, in your classrooms, Right? But wouldn't it be cool that we don't just worship God on Sunday for one hour? We worship God throughout the whole week. When Andre is building homes, right? When we're closing deals, we're worshiping God. When we're making things safer as a policeman, we're worshiping God. Reputation leads to relationships, which is the second R. And in in the center, what we strive is to know and value people by name. Because people matter because they're image bearers of God. And so if we take the time to get to know them and value them by name, they're not just anyone in the crowd. There's someone that we're valuing. And the way that we do that is we know we can't know all 9,000 people that we serve. But when Kalea is teaching swim lessons, I go, Kalea, just get to know the two kids that you're teaching. Know their name. Or get to know the parents' names. Or at the front desk, just get to, just even attempt, like, I'm sorry, what was your name again? Tracy, right? Those kind of things. Just really attempt that. So my question to you is, in your workplace, who can you get to know a little bit more by name and value them by name? You don't need to get the whole history about them, but just get to know them. Find out where they came from, why they ended up here, where, you know, what's their background? Because they're an image bearer of God, just like you are whether they're a Jesus follower or not, right? And we use Matthew 5.16. Matthew, a businessman, albeit a corrupt one, was a tax collector who became a Jesus follower, wrote, let your light shine among men and women so that they will know there's a Father in heaven that loves them. You don't even have to mention the name of Jesus and people are going to experience Jesus through you. And one simple way is just get to know and value people by name. Um, so uh, the, the thing that we've learned also is that when you build reputation and relationships, your stories at work become relevant to you. Now, we all have stories. Of course, we have stories. But rarely do we take the time to peel back our stories and understand them. And when we do, here's what we've found, right? Whether it's, it's Craig at, at Kelly Moore, we find out that our stories begin to help us understand who we are who God is, and why he's placed us where he's placed us. You know, those are the kind of things that are kind of cool. Like when Jeff 
you know, wonders like, man, I run these swim schools. It's like, that's who God created Jeff. He's the, he's the all-around guy. The guy can fix anything with gum, right? And he's willing to work hard on those kind of things. Joni has all these ideas all the time, great business ideas. Those are all from God. And the success that they've had with kings has, has helped them because God, that was part of God's plan for them. And why are they here? They're, they're there to employ people, to help people become safe. I, we use 1 Peter 3.15 as our inspiration. Peter, who was one of the closest followers of Jesus, uh, he was nicknamed the rock, but he was also notorious for denying Jesus three times. He wrote, be ready in season and out of season to share the reason for the hope that's in you. In my mind's eye, that must have been really hard for Peter to write. Because I wonder if he had to wrestle down his reason of why he still believed in Jesus, even though he denied him three times at Jesus' greatest need. But he believed that the stories matter. Your stories matter. Because here's what we know, and I tell my staff this. I guarantee, and this is the only thing I can guarantee, uh, 100%, at some point, someone's going to ask you this question. Why? Why does your church even own a fitness center? Why do you guys come to the 12 schools and serve these 5,400? Why did you leave high tech and take that big pay cut to run a fitness center? Why do you guys treat people differently? And we know this, that when we're in our, in our 12 schools, we have an agreement with the Sequoia uh, School District and the, and the Sequoia Healthcare Foundation. We're not there to proselytize, to evangelize. We're not handing out Bible tracts. We're not inviting people to church. And they agree that if a, a, a student, a parent, a teacher, a co-worker ask any of our coaches and anyone associated with PCC why we do what we do, we tell them our why. And we use our story. Because your stories are so unique. They're so incredibly different. And I tell them, don't use my story. My story is my story. Be you. Everyone else is taken. But you got to develop your story, Right? Don't copy it. Don't try to memorize mine. You have your own story. And your story changes as you build the reputation and relationship and you understand the reason. It continues and it's constantly growing as God works in each one of you, in each one of us. Now, we, uh, so we use, that's called our reinvesting, and we use 2 Timothy 2.2 as our inspiration. Remember Paul, who wrote to the Ephesians? He wrote to a guy named Timothy, who was the pastor at Ephesus. And he said, whatever you've seen and heard of me, entrust to reliable men and women. We gave up a long time ago deciding who's reliable and who's not. Our trigger is we just say, as God brings someone and asks that question, we're going to tell them our story. It's not our job to convince them to believe our story. It's not our job to have them copy our story. It's not even our job to have them agree with our story. Our job is simply to tell our story. It's God's job to bring them to Jesus. That's between them and God. And it's freeing because we don't treat people like projects. We don't treat people like I got to get, you know, Steve over to the other side of the bridge. No, you are the gospel. If you're a Jesus follower, right? That's how, that's how Caden is going to bring Jesus into his classroom. That's how Yvonne's going to do it in the spin class and in the yoga class that we have over there. 
So be ready with your story and tell your story and leave the rest to God. Now, as a sales guy, and I know this, Todd knows this, you have some great years or great months and great days, and you have some terrible months and days where you just, I just thought I'd never going to close a sale again. But that's just the thing of life, and that's just how it is at work. Sometimes you're killing it. Other days, you're just barely making it, right? We recognize that. So what we tell our staff is this, that as you're leaving, because we all park on the church side during the week because we want all the prime parking on the, on the center side to be reserved for members, is as you're walking back to your car, just do this simple thing. Take the time to reflect and ask the simple question. Who am I becoming? Not what did I just do or what did I fail in, but who am I becoming? Because we use John 3.16. Oh, by the way, the R's, everyone has heard this. Uh, so regardless of their faith background, they get to hear this whole thing. All the verses, everything else in there, whether they're atheists, agnostic, Muslim, Buddhist, whatever it is. So they get to hear this. And we're we are pretty, pretty courageous in this of saying, hey, what this says, John 3.16 says, is before you figured out your life, before you figured out who God is, before you accepted him as your Lord and Savior, the God of the universe who needs nothing from you sent his only son to die for you to do the very thing you could never do, which is be perfect and be the perfect atonement. So that when you're walking across the bridge, what I tell people, and, and I try to do this, and I don't do it perfectly, but I say, look up at our steeple. There's a cross there. Use that cross to remind you not how angry God is at you or how short you fell, but how much God loves you. You're worth his one and only son. So that we can look at it and say, we are not defined by what we do. We're defined by who we're becoming and who we belong. So what about you guys? Tomorrow, you're going to go back into your mission fields, into your workplaces where you, where you live and play and all those kind of things. Which one of the five R's can you apply? Do not try to apply all five. Pick one. We've been doing this for a long time, for, and we're not even great at it. So just pick one. You know, how will you leave your work area better than you found it by the time you go home tomorrow? Who will you get to know better and value by name? What will you understand better about who God is, who you are, and why he placed you in your workplace? What story will you tell when it comes time for you to reinvest? By the way, you can't force the reinvestment. We wait for God to to orchestrate that, but we got to be ready. And it goes like this. You can't even predict it. So you got to be ready. Um, What will you do to reflect on how your day went? Suggestion before you turn on the car to go home, you might want to, like our team, just ask that question of like, God, who did I become today? What did you do in me? Not just through me. Um, And so just pick one. Don't try to boil the ocean. Just pick one. Um, But imagine this. Imagine how much hope and how much joy you will experience and your coworkers and even your partners and even strangers because you are thriving and living according to how God created you to live as Jesus followers. That's the hope that we bring, right, through our work. Um, 
And at the same time, I want you to know this. Uh, we tell, I tell all our staff, and we remind each other constantly that God's going to do what God's going to do with the 9,000 people we serve, with or without us. He's the God of the universe, right? By definition, he doesn't need anything from us. We're constantly reminded that he has something for us. He invites us to be part of his plan, whether it's at the fire department or the police department or Selby Lane, Jackie, right? He's inviting us to be part of his plan, not because he needs something from us, but because he has something for us. And I truly believe that it's to become the best version of who he created us to be. And in my mind, I'm really clear, the best version of us looks more and more like Jesus. So I leave this with you, that the, the last slide, please, Greg. That the biggest win is not what we're doing for Jesus. It's important, but it's not the biggest win. To me, it's not the most important win. The most important and biggest win is this, are we becoming more and more like Jesus? When you serve in your work and you integrate your work, are are you becoming more joyful? Are you becoming more peaceful? Are you becoming more patient? Because if the answer is no, we are missing something. Because you're worth the son to God. I'm pretty sure you're important in that. You're not just a tool. You're not a means to an end. You're part of that win. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you that uh, we get, uh, even starting tonight, uh, but throughout the week, get to go into the places you've called us, into the neighborhoods, the classrooms, the teams, the, um, the companies, the organizations, Lord, uh, to work and to live into what you've called us and to, to worship you by living out uh, who we are. And thank you that it's not, uh, we don't work to earn your love, God, we work from your love. And thank you that you sealed that statement by sending your only son to die for us on the cross. That as John 3.16 says, that you love the world, that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life because you came to redeem the world, not to condemn the world. And I pray for anybody here who's wondering, is that really true? God, uh, would you help them find someone? Or take them the next step towards a growing, deepening relationship with Jesus. And so we pray all these things in his name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.